Welcome to Pulse of the Caribbean Caribbean News Roundup. Here's a look at some of our Caribbean headlines for today. Puerto Rico Oversight Board says bill changes would force it to pull debt plan. Caribbean Development Bank calls region to collaborate to capitalize on available IMF financing. Atlantis Resort owner urged obey Bahamas laws. And Barbados Democratic Labor Party says government should increase restrictions on movement. These and other stories on today's Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Monday, October 11. We start our report today in Puerto Rico. The bond buyer reports that the Puerto Rico Oversight Board said the legislation proposed by the Puerto Rico House and amended by the Senate would force it to withdraw its proposed plan of adjustment because the costs are impossible. The outrageous cost of the Senate amendments to House Bill 1003 taken together would make the confirmation of the Seventh Amendment plan of adjustment impossible, the board said in a statement on Friday. Therefore, the oversight board would be forced to withdraw the proposed plan of adjustment from the U.S. District Court. Further, the oversight board said it is convinced the legislation endangers Puerto Rico's ability to come out of bankruptcy and repeats the unsustainable spending practices and policies that drove Puerto Rico into bankruptcy in the first place. The Senate on Wednesday amended a House bill that would allow for new bonds as a part of the plan of adjustment to move forward, but with the spending stipulations attached. Puerto Rico's House President Rafael Hernandez Montanez said in a statement, This week, his chamber would not pass a reconciliation bill on restructuring the debt unless the board guarantees in writing that it would comply with zero cuts to pensions, allocate $62 million per year for municipal governments, provide at least $500 million per year for the University of Puerto Rico for five years, and other concessions. The board has been negotiating with the local government leaders on terms of restructuring bond and contingent value instruments that are part of the plan of adjustment. The board said it has the legal right to restructure the debt without local government approval, but acknowledged getting approval would avoid complications. Bondholders have also said they would prefer the new bonds have the local government's formal approval. The Antigua Newsroom reports that President of the Caribbean Development Bank, Dr. Hagnes Jean Leon, has proposed that $2.5 billion special drawing rights available to Caribbean countries from the International Monetary Fund be pooled to unlock even more financing for capital markets. Dr. Leon has also sounded his intention to present a proposal to Caribbean community heads on the financial mechanism to be achieved for this objective. Speaking at the second edition of the Bank President's Chat Forum late last week, featuring special guests, 
Prime Minister of Barbados, the Honorable Mia Motley, the Caribbean Development Bank president advised that combining the recent special drawing rights allocations assigned by the IMF could be the practical and powerful collaboration needed to improve the economic position of the region. The special drawing rights is an interest-bearing international reserve asset created by the IMF. Members can use their special drawing rights allocations to supplement or bill their national reserves instead of accruing debt. In August 2021, the IMF implemented its largest general allocation to date of special drawing rights, $456 billion, or $650 billion U.S. dollars to address global needs in the wake of the COVID-19 crisis. Dr. Leon, who worked with the IMF for more than two decades, noted that the Caribbean Development Bank's boring member countries collectively had about 1.7 billion special drawing rights allocated to them. He advised that rather than each country drawing down and using its individual allocation, a more effective solution would be a combined financial instrument for the region's benefits. Alternatively, we have an opportunity to say, what if we pool all of that 1.7 billion special drawing rights, about 2.5 billion US dollars, and now invest it into an equivalent reserve asset type of instrument that could be issued by the Caribbean Development Bank, he stated. He laid out how this financial instrument could then be used in turn to invigorate the capital markets and access more or even better financing for the Caribbean development needs. Barbados's Prime Minister Mia Motley urged the Caribbean Development Bank to advance the proposal quickly, pointing out that many countries would be presently be making decisions on how they would use their special drawing rights allocations. The Bahama Tribune reports that a trade union leader yesterday urged Atlantis owner to obey the laws of the Bahamas relating to COVID-19 testing and warn the present situation is setting a bad precedent. O.B. Ferguson, the trade union Congress president told Tribune Business that the law of a sovereign nation such as the Bahamas must take precedence over any worldwide policy implemented by Brookfield Asset Management and other multinational conglomerates with businesses and operations in this nation. He added that the situation at Atlantis involving the resort's policy that unvaccinated staff must pay for their weekly COVID-19 tests could encourage other major employers to disregard the law and follow suit, something he is very concerned about. Mr. Ferguson spoke after the Prime Minister said last week that he had asked Atlantis to reconsider this policy amid concerns from both the private sector and labor movement that violates the Health and Safety at Work Act Sections 9. 
which seemingly stipulates that all expenses associated with maintaining a healthy workplace be paid for by the employer. This is in essence means of such costs, including weekly COVID-19 testing, should not be passed on to employees. However, Mr. Davis said he was informed by Atlantis executives that the unvaccinated worker testing policy was effectively a compromise devised by the resort, given that Brookfield has mandated that all of its employees worldwide be inoculated to continue in their jobs. She appreciates the concerns we have about mandatory vaccination, Mr. Davis said, of his meeting with Atlantis president, Audrey Oswell, and she reached a compromise with her corporate office that at least if they were to ask persons who wanted to continue to work with Atlantis, that they pay for their testing that might encourage them to get vaccinated. This situation highlights how multinational investors' own worldwide corporate policies may clash with and run afoul of Bahamian law. The Prime Minister's comments indicate that the government has elected not to take a harsh line with Atlantis Brookfield, which alongside Bahamar is the Bahamas' largest private sector employer and is playing a key role in post-recovery efforts. Mr. Davis indicated that the government is hoping its COVID-free testing, which has yet to be defined or rolled out, will help alleviate the Atlantis situation. However, no such testing is truly free, as it will simply mean that the financial burden is switched from those currently paying to the taxpayer. Barbados Today reports that Barbados Democratic Labor Party says the Prime Minister Mia Motley administration needs to immediately come to grips with the reality that increased restrictions on movement is the only way to slow the spread of the COVID-19 Delta variant, which has already dealt a deadly blow to the country's economy. According to the Barbadian Democratic Labor Party, the government also needs to immediately shift its focus to a national test and trace program utilizing COVID-19 rapid antigen self-test kits. In a statement, the Democratic Labor Party said, we are all shocked and saddened by the daily COVID-19 deaths and the record-breaking numbers of positive cases. Our health care system continues to be severely burdened and our medical staff are crying out for help. Acting CMO, Chief Medical Officer Dr. Anton Bess has described the situation as dire. Our positive cases increased by 500% in September, from 689 cases in August to 3,500 in September. For six days in October, we have already hit a record of 1,473 positive cases, eight deaths, and have more than 2,000 people in isolation. The Democratic Labor Party and BAMP have made calls for travel protocols to be strengthened since August. Nothing has been done. 
Did the government allow these ineffective travel protocols to remain in place to facilitate the arrival of the United Nations Conference on Trade and Development? The Miyamotli administration needs to immediately come to grips with the reality that increased restrictions on movement is the only way to slow the spread of the COVID-19 Delta variant, which has already dealt a blow to our economy. The government needs to immediately shift its focus to our national test and trace program, utilizing COVID-19 rapid antigen self-test kits, develop the appropriate promotion strategy with guidelines for effective use of the test kits and steps to taking after negative or positive results. This would help to quickly identify some of the positive cases which may be circulating within the communities. The purchase and distribution of these kits would be an effective use of the funds donated to COVID-19 Relief and Recovery, Barbados, Inc. Now Grenada reports that Grenada's Ministry for Climate Resiliency and the Environment is actively engaged in building momentum ahead of the United Nations Climate Change Conference taking place in Glasgow from October 31st. In the last few weeks, Minister Responsible for Climate Resiliency and the Environment, Senator the Honorable Simon Stile, participated in international meetings in the United States and Italy. In New York, on the margins of the United Nations Assembly, his itinerary included meetings with leaders from the Alliance of Small Island States, the United Nations Secretary General's Office, and members of the High Ambition Coalition, which the minister is currently co-chairing with his counterpart, Tina Stige, climate envoy for the Marshall Islands. The minister engaged with key international counterparts to push for the urgent action needed to keep the 1.5 Celsius goal within reach and to increase and improve access to finance for developing countries already struggling with impacts of climate change. The minister will travel to Glasgow, Scotland in late October to represent Grenada at the conference and further engage to push for more ambitious action on climate change. The Jamaica Information Service reports that a proposal for the establishment of seven years of secondary education in Jamaica has been approved by Cabinet. Minister of Education and Youth and Information in Jamaica, the Honorable Flavel Williams, who made the disclosure while addressing a virtual post-cabinet briefing last week, said this will allow all students to have access to learning opportunities in grades 12 and 13 sixth form. The mainstreaming of the seven-year program of educational training and experience is expected to meet the needs of students more efficiently and effectively and respond to local and international demands vis-a-vis 21st century skills, competency, and certification, she said. Mrs. Williams argued that as Jamaica seeks to become more globally competitive, it is imperative that appropriate investments are made in expanding educational access, 
quality and relevance to allow students to graduate with certifications in their respective fields. And finally, the VI Free Press reports that a group of news organizations has released a list of findings after reviewing what it describes as a massive leak of confidential financial records revealing assets held offshore by politicians and public officials worldwide. The news report have been published by the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists and its media partners in the Pandora investigation, including the Washington Post, the BBC, The Guardian, Radio France, and the Indian Press. Reuters could not independently verify the allegations or documents detailed by the consortium and its partners. One of the reports states that the Washington Post said Russian woman Sletvana Kervonogik became the owner of a Monaco apartment via an offshore company incorporated in Tortola, British Virgin Islands in April 2003, just weeks after she gave birth to a girl. At the time, she was in a secret years-long relationship with the Russian President Valdemar Putin, the Post said, citing Russia investigative outlet Proact. The Post said Sletvana has a daughter who is now 18 and lives with her in the French Riviera, but the Kremlin did not respond to requests for comment. This has been your Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Monday, October 11th. I'm Keisha Wallace. For more Caribbean news stories and information, visit us online at pulseofthecaribbean.com and follow us on Facebook.